The Bain Free Radio Hour. On the podcast, Horror in the Trenches, Mentors and Monsters, and a classic of the Leaden universe. Plus, we continue our ongoing audiobook serialization of Timothy Zahn's Cobra, all right now. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour. It's a pleasure to have you along. I am Bain Associate Editor and your podcast host, David Afsharirad. Today, we bring you part one of Sean Patrick Hazlett's two-part interview about time trials. Sean sat down with the authors of the novel, M.A. Rothman, and sometimes podcast guest interviewer, D.J. Butler, to discuss the new book. But first, the news. It's a new month, and that means new books. Let's check out the March mass market paperbacks. First up is Servants of War by Larry Correa and Steve Diamond. Ilarion Glaskov's quiet life on the fringes of the Empire is thrown into chaos when an impossible strategy strikes his... Alarion Glaskov's quiet life on the fringes of the Empire is thrown into chaos when an impossible tragedy strikes his village. When he is conscripted into the Tsarist military, he is sent to serve in the Wall, an elite regiment that pilots suits of armor made from the husks of dead golems. But the Great War is not the only, or even the worst, danger facing Alarion, as he is caught in a millennia-old conflict between two goddesses. He must survive the ravages of trench warfare, horrific monsters from another world, and the treacherous internal politics of the country he serves. Next up is Library of the Sapphire Wind by Jane Linscold. Instead of mentors, they got monsters. That's what Zirak, Varys, and Grunwald think when three strange creatures shimmer into being within the circle of Hechua Shrine. And why shouldn't they? After all, they've never seen humans before. Margaret Blake, Peg Gallegos, and Tessa Brown are equally astonished, but also better prepared. A widely varied course of reading material has intellectually primed them for the idea that other worlds, even worlds where people with traits more commonly ascribed to animals, may exist. But despite their differences, these mentors and inquisitors must join forces to solve an overriding mystery. Their first task? To find the Library of the Sapphire Wind, destroyed years before. There, they may find out how to ask the right questions to save themselves and overwear itself. And Scout's Progress by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. All of her life, Eliana Kalon has lived by the rules of her overbearing brother, the head of the Kalon family. Though she is a brilliant mathematician, he has convinced her that she has no worth beyond what value she might have in an arranged marriage. Then, on a dare, she plays a game of chance and wins a starship. It is her way to escape her home, her planet, her drab life, if she can qualify as a pilot. That's Servants of War, Library of the Sapphire Wind, and Scout's Progress, all available now in mass market paperback. And that's it for the news.
Hi there, I'm Griffin Barber, your host for today's edition of the Bain Free Radio Hour. DJ Butler, Dave to his friends, is a Utah-based author of speculative fiction. Like many in our genre, Dave has amassed a number of skills and resume padding bullet points on his way to becoming an author. He's a lawyer, a corporate trainer, an editor, and a singer-songwriter. Through it all, however, he's always been a storyteller. He's possibly best known for authoring the immensely good and well-received Witchy Eye trilogy, which he's also written a number of other series and that range from middle grade fantasy to sword and sorcery to alternate history with a strong fantasy bent. Along the way, he's collaborated with other authors, including the book we're here to talk about today with M.A. Rothman, Time Trials. Michael A. Rothman is an engineer with more than a thousand patents to his name, including work on projects where if he's not done his job correctly, many computers will not boot up. He came to at the at a career. He came at the career a bit differently from most folks, writing down the stories he was telling his children. Token did this too, if I recall correctly. After a while, he had a collection of stories which, with which to start and went on to pen a number of series ranging through hard science fiction, near-future thrillers, fantasy, epic young adult, and now in what I believe is his first collaboration, Time Trials, forthcoming from Bain Books. Hello and welcome, Mike and Dave. Thank you. I think I think Mike is uh, Mike. Correct me if I'm wrong. Twice USA Today bestseller. Is that right? Three, three. times. Three three times. Three brass yeah. rings. There you go. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's uh, he's quite uh, it's quite a powerhouse in the indie space. So, hardest question first. What's the coolest aspect of time trials for each of you? Go for it, Dave. Let's see if I I, I differ in opinion. Um. I am amused that I got to shock Mike Rothman by writing the first marijuana reference into any one of his books. <laughs> um, something Mike likes to do, I think Mike does in other books, maybe in all his books, but I have not done before, is to uh, write in, I guess you'd say like an explanatory author's notes. We've got a few pages at the back where we have essays about things like the physics and the astronomy and and um, anthropology uh, that are that are in the book. That was also a lot of fun. Cool. I, I mean, for for me, it was yeah. I I approached this knowing that you know I mean like like David mentioned you know all my stuff does tend to have threads of science of one kind or another. And I, and in all my books, I have the ability to talk about it a little bit more in depth at the end. Um, you know, what's real, what's not real. And, you know, when, when we first started doing this to me, the cool thing was, you know, I mean, I, I come from a science background um, and, and Dave's very big on, you know, the history side of, you know, you know, uh, of, of literary. And so I figured, well, you know, it'll be an interesting mashup one way or the other to be able to go in depth into some of the stuff and and ultimately talk about what if. So it doesn't sound as if you stumbled on it, but that you kind of work together on those aspects of it to, to make it cool yeah. for you. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it is interesting that you talk about the, the, the afterward, because I, I did enjoy that, uh, especially uh, the, talking about brains. Um, NES, not 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 the, not the zombie type, but you know, yeah, the other one. right. <laughs> um, so time trials has a lot of wild coolness at its core, including some physics concepts not everyone can wrap their heads around easily. 
brains and the like, just as I was saying. Uh, did this aspect of your world building come first or did it arise out of the story and the characters that you were using to tell it? So at least from my perspective, I, I wanted to bring as much, yeah. So I, I'd recently dabbled in, in certain genres that kind of fall into this crux of mostly fantasy, but I, I, I don't do standard fantasy. You know, I, I, I like to play with the what if category and, and, and that goes, okay, well, how can I make elements of fantasy, um, you know, let's imagine it being as real as possible. So how can I scientify it, so to speak, you know, to make up a term? And 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 for me, it was just, you know, um, how, how, I mean, how, how, to, how to bring reality and, you know, and something fantastical and merge them together and make people wonder, well, what... What, what what if that really did happen? So, I mean, for me, it was the approach I took at least. So, was one one of you reining in the other more, or or just going wild and and then trying to figure out uh, retroactively how to make it work as realistically as possible? So, so, so for me, uh, uh, yeah. So, so I, I, I'm sure Dave has a, a different perspective to it, but for me, it was. Um, yeah, I I always look at all this, all stories I do through the you know a, a movie lens. Yeah, so I'm behind the camera, and and I try to put myself. I mean, like most authors do, put myself into their position. So th th there were, and Dave comes from a much stronger um, you know epic fantasy his you know alt history um, background. So for me, I was like, okay. I want to introduce a new audience to a genre that they might not normally think of to, you know, to pick up. So I want to approach this, you know, what if my audience was a thriller audience, someone who would maybe read Michael Crichton or would read Tom Clancy or something like that, but slowly kind of sneak them into a world that isn't quite very Crichton or Clancy like, and, and to do that, you need to avoid some of the things that are normal in in, a, in epic fantasy. Like, for instance, when you're casting a spell, you know, one in normal life we don't cast spells. So the the idea of you know a magical hand wave or something to do something isn't a natural behavior anyone would ever do. If suddenly you find, you know, I, I, I'm making it up, but flames shooting out of your fingers, you're not gonna start casting a spell you're saying some arcane words it's going to be more a what would you do you'd probably freak out when that first happened you know it's not going to be a purposeful thing so so that you know when it came to reining in it's like you know there, there was definitely some negotiation on how we approach certain things um you know especially the fantastical is like rein in the fantastical but you know they've you know pushed me on some of like you know some of the fight scenes and stuff it's like oh that's not a big enough i'm like all right you're probably right but <laughs> so, yeah. cool. i so i've i've known mike 20 i was trying to think of the year mike like 2016 maybe something like that 2015 yeah yeah Something like that, uh, and, and for for a couple of years, I knew him as a guy who'd show up with his sons at Emerald City Comic Con, and and I don't think I even maybe knew that you wrote for a year or two. 
That wasn't that wasn't really you might have mentioned it, but it wasn't how you presented yourself. And a lot of people sort of say, "Oh yeah, I'm working on a book," right? So I don't I tend not to think yeah. about that. Yeah, I, I kept it on a download. So uh. yeah, at a certain point, Mike started publishing, and then at a certain point, uh, Mike uh, Mike decided he was going to uh, propose co-writing with me, right? And uh, so uh, from my perspective, some of the some of the things in this uh, story sort of came as givens. Mike said, "Hey, listen, I want to write a story, and he wants to. I want it to do this and that, and the other, right? Well, one of the one of the givens is he wanted to include an armor for various reasons, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and then and then uh, and then yeah, it's it's uh, and then there was a lot of discussion and negotiation and dis and sort of." even some disagreement and uh and and i will say this about mike and i'm going to say this in front of him uh there are writers who are sort of one thing in public and then one thing in private and mike rothman is not one of them he is the guy that you see out there in social media he is that guy so if you're thinking oh he seems like he's a really strong-willed guy who'd be willing to go to go to the mat about stuff that is correct uh <laughs> So some of this negotiation was, was like actually some of it was pretty easy. It didn't, no one really cared. But sometimes there was long discussions where we'd push back and forth. And, I don't like that. I don't like this, right? But I'm pretty I'm very happy with the way it came out. Cool. I'm uh, looking forward to uh, working on the next several. So uh, I was really fascinated by the main character. Time trials has his heart uh, somewhat down at the heels former academic, Dr. Marty Cohen, uh, who's just trying to put food on his table and uh, on that of his employees, which I really liked as well. Um, how this character and his background come come to you guys? So there's, there's I mean, an interesting story here too, because this is, well, I have to say that Tony Weisskopf has some, some influence. We, we, um, uh without giving away too many spoilers this this book has a sort of a through line or a level that is basically D D. right okay and so so marty started life uh first of all as um uh, as martin chang and secondly as something close to like a monk and um and when we put together the first draft of the book right so we'd written our separate chapters and assembled them and read through and discussed one of the issues that we came to was we said hey you know we we need to kind of think more about have we made this guy a little bit too bloodless does he need to be like right like like um is is he too sort of uh withdrawn from the world impassive you know imperturbable does he need to be a guy who is has more passions and is more kind of like in the world and caring right. for people and stuff and and we had literally had been having that conversation when tony weisskopf joined us to discuss the book and it was kind of when we discussed the story that was one of her big comments too right so that was we pushed him towards becoming more of a kind of um i mean more blue collar honestly more of an entrepreneur right getting him sort of more definitely out of academia right, right. um 
And also, it was uh, it was Tony who suggested his he that he should be Cohen and his nickname should be Kung Fu Cohen, which actually I think was very <laughs> very, very very cool. <laughs> uh, especially as it's a um, not I won't say it's a running joke, but it's a running commentary on things as it goes along, which uh, feeds yeah. into our our uh, enchantment with that character so and and the tension with marty i mean you know the way he got developed and, and he did he did evolve as we wrote it and kind of massaged it a bit because there's there's and this is reflective i mean i i think you know characters inevitably reflect the human condition so you know people have known bad managers or bad leaders in one way or another and and had good ones and and there is this tension if like if you're going to be a good leader you, you you can't be reserved but you can't be too type a not listening to other people you know it has to be some happy medium somewhere and 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 that's the trick is that we want him to be good at what he yeah, you know, the position he finds himself in. It's not something he necessarily volunteered for, but finds himself in a situation that requires a good leader. And, you know, ho hopefully that's what we ended up with. with yeah, that, that resonated with me because it's, you know, the, the true test of a leader is not whether they sought it, it's whether they, when it came on them, they took up the challenge and, and right. did well by those that they were called upon to lead. So, yeah, I, I, I dug it. Um, so yeah, getting on to that, uh, are there any biographical details from either of your lives that crept into Marty's upper utter disenchantment with academic circles? <laughs> well, let's, let's put it this way. I, I think we've all known, uh, you know, like for instance, like I would never say Marty reflects me in any way, but we've all known people like Marty or, you know, people who've been disenchanted. You know, people who maybe are very into certain weird things that you wouldn't have expected. So, I mean, I think all of the characters and, and each one of them has their own very specific arc. We've all known people like that in one way or another. E even the smallest character who starts off just as this young worker, you know, we've known someone like that, you know, you know, in, in our lives. So it, it's really just kind of honor you know going back to that honoring the human condition you know what what are these people like what what would you know what would the character look like if we were reflecting someone like that so which character in time trial surprised each of you well that's an interesting question i uh i think i think francois ends up being a sort of uh I, I like the way, uh, and surprise is tricky, right? I mean, yeah. we created him. In right. a sense, this is deliberate, but I, I think he ends up being, uh, you know, he's sort of a rival for leadership up front, and he's, and he comes across as very entitled. Um, and but there, there are there are some reasons. There's some real human reasons why he sort of feels entitled. They're not they're not crazy. And I, you know, I think that he, uh, the way he sort of is able to relax into a role where he doesn't have to be strictly speaking in charge, uh, and so show some humanity, I think is, um, I think is a lot of fun. I like that a lot. How about you, here, Mike? Yeah, I agreed. And, and I mean, I think, you know, I, 
I look at all the characters sort of as what's their growth, you know, what's their character arc look like? And inevitably, I think even in this story, you know, they each are different from where they started. Uh, you know, they, they, they've each grown in different ways, you know, faced with different obstacles, you know, each one a little bit different. Um, and, you know, and you've got these disparate people suddenly finding themselves in effect having to work as a team because if they don't they've learned the consequences of what that might look like um and they don't want to repeat some of the mistakes that would inevitably be a spoiler um and, and you know but i think you know i mean you know for, for whatever reason gunther stands out to me um you know and 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 maybe because i i also have i mean this is intended as a, as a series so um each one has a much longer arc than is shown here but i think each one of them is going to play a very unique and specific role that hopefully will keep people guessing so very cool so uh, is, is there any particular uh, uh, one of you developed one character or that kind of thing? How did uh, say Francois come to come to be? I mean, I think we 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 arrived at them sort of jointly. I mean, yeah, we yeah, before we even started word one, we we had like biographical sketches of what they would look like. and 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 what they've said, you know, ma mapping, even though, anyone reading this uh, i mean like well like one of the reviews from kirkus you know easily called out the you know once they've read it reviewed it you know they, they noted that the team definitely resembles a D, D like even though people people who aren't gamers are totally going to miss that but people who are gamers will latch on to it very quickly um uh, but yeah it, i mean it, it, it inevitably We've got. Um, oh, I forgot your question now. <laughs> I, I, I've lost my. That's how they came to how they came to be. Oh yeah. So 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 uh, so so we, we we came up with the biographical sketches and um, and and then we we knew we were gonna develop something that kind of skirted between the lines of several genres, um, and and we wanted Many to genres. The 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 D and D thing was was purposeful. Um, so. You know, we we modeled some of the events and growth patterns and whatnot against what well what class would that character be like Marty, you know uh, I wouldn't be giving too much away to say that you know we modeled him after let's say a stereotypical D and D type of monk, um, and for those who are gamers that'll mean something for those who aren't they won't mean anything. Right. But, um, yeah, so 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 we had that in mind, but it's always kind of it's never about d and d, you know, you know, so 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 you're never gonna see someone you know rolling dice or or you know or calculating hit points or anything like that because again, the audience for this is as wide as possible. And I think, you know, the intent here is for gamers, they'll totally get it. Um, for those who aren't ga gamers, they don't need to get it, you know, because it's it's kind of a seamless element of the story and you just take it for what it is that guy happens to be really good at x and the other character is good at y yep. so you see that we we uh we had a, a few arguments over some of these characters um one of the things we we thought about was um uh kareem 
how old should he be? And sort of tied into that was uh, the question of, well, is he is he more like a thief or is he more like an assassin? And to how close do we want to get to the line of even murder hobo um, right. <laughs> to, to indulge in some gaming talk, right? Yeah, totally. Um, Every party is a murder hobo party. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. So we we had uh, we had smaller debates over things like uh was uh you know as part of francois francois got a very sort of a dilettante uh biography you know someone who started with money and could do things could indulge in education and kind of side careers and chase curiosity and so we had this kind of question about had he you know was was he a banker did it was he a banker did it matter was that part of the story um at all um, a little, I, this is really on on your earlier question, Griffin. So I actually empathize a lot with my, Marty's withdrawal from academia. I've never been an academic. I chose. I, I knew what academia was, right? I like my dad has was an, a career academic, and and I knew that I could not study one thing for fifty years and right. be happy. I knew I would be killing myself. So, um, but if you look at my what I have done instead, it's. It's like been a um, a steady uh, flight from money and away from remunerative occupations towards things that pay less and less, right? So, so, um, so actually, I sympathize a lot with the guy who's who who kind of turns his back on the um, white collar world where which is sort of you know where things are set up for him and here's the career and here's how you're going to go forward and do it as long as you play ball and just isn't going to play ball uh and wants to do something that is more art um and uh yeah i actually feel a great deal of uh identification for that neat so uh in a similar vein then uh, or on the flip side of that which character from time trials would you want to avoid like the plague and why well, Francois for me, uh, m m certainly Francois from the first half, um, because I've known lots of people like him, um, and, and they're just not pleasant. Um, I, you know, he, he, even people in his, uh, uh, let's just imagine, you know, someone who has grown up with money and has grown used to having people do what he says, regardless of how ridiculous the request is right. so imagine trying to work with someone like that on an even basis it, it, it becomes difficult um and you know and, and i mean unless you're gonna have like a fist fight over it you know it, it's like yeah, i just you know i've known people who are not necessarily entitled like that but people who have similar behavior patterns and i'm just like if if I if I had a choice, I'd rather not have to work with someone like Francois. So, yeah. Well, I think Sir John would probably find me a complete wuss, and uh, he would basically be right. Um, I don't know; he'd be mean to be mean to me about it. Uh, but I think I'm afraid of Kareem. I think that uh, by the end of the book, Kareem is taking an awful lot of delight and uh or at least is getting very nonchalant about uh you know committing some pretty serious mayhem so uh he's the one who makes me most nervous he, <laughs> he might end up doing bad things somewhere before we're done 
He's falling into a role. Yeah. He's falling into a role. Yeah, and it's not <laughs> whether that role it's... is good or not is is to be beat. Maybe it's an important role in some contexts or a necessary role, but man. All right. So uh which character would you want as an ally? And I'm gonna go out on a limb and I'm gonna answer for Mike already. I'm gonna say Narmer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, 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 in seriousness, um, you know, Marty, because I think he's reliable. Um, you know, he, he, you, you know what you're going to get out of him. Um, yeah, maybe Gunther as well, but um, yeah. Either of those two. Um, that's interesting. Because uh, I was thinking uh, that Loana's got a great combination nation it's not just sort of skills or abilities but sort of uh the ability to buck the consensus that i think is really important in like a decision making unit right is without being an a-hole who's pushing him and saying we're this is just we're just not where you think we are we're just not there here are reasons why um and uh yeah i guess that would be my pick cool so are are any of these folks uh, representative of any people that we know uh you don't have to say who but perhaps uh obviously with francois we have some uh borderline examples I mean, for me not purposefully um i mean it goes back to what i said before that we've all known people like some of these characters so you know maybe loosely modeled on on some of those characters but for me no not necessarily yeah me uh, me either yeah okay so uh this band of unlikely heroes all of whom have their own unique background before being thrust into the events of time trials uh is there any chance some of these characters might get their own novels or stories in the future so there's going to be more books on this series. Um, so I guess I would look at that as a, once the series is complete, I wouldn't ever say no. Yeah. I, 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 so, so certainly in my mind, I would, you know, I, I would leave that opportunity open. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, there's a definite, uh quest out ahead of them you know um that uh, at least as far as we've talked about it so far is going to require them to be something more or less together until the end of the quest yeah then then we then we'd see hmm. so i was just kind of interested even in like luana's background you know the, what happened before that, that brought her to work for francois and that kind of thing so um, oh, no. I mean, I, I think inevitably, if you imagine this as a multi-book arc of this team eventually getting to some goal and being done, you know, with the series being done, you can easily imagine, assuming that, you know, they survive, you know, which would have to be a prerequisite, um, you can imagine any one of them would be possible to cast as a, a star of their own thing so right well and griffin i think to your point i think it uh, yeah it's conceivable we might do like a uh a pre
prequel or prequel kind of novella. It would be a very, those would be very different genres probably, right? Because time trials, like what is it? It's just kind of a techno thriller. It's kind of a science fiction novel. It's kind of reads an epic fantasy. It's got a weird kind of alternate history thing. Little bit of game lit, right? Like it's got, it's got all the stuff going on. Whereas like Luana's background, which I think would be interesting, right? Like, like racing camels in the Northern territories, right. uh, could be pretty sweet. Or Sir John's years as a commando, right? Yeah. Uh, you can, it's easy to imagine adventure novels. Um, they'd be, they'd be, they'd be a more discreet kind of genre, right? It'd be a thriller. Yeah. It'd be a something else. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's kind of why I, I, I look at it as, it's easy to imagine doing something where assuming that at the end there's a survivor, you know, or multiple survivors, those might be able to do something that, you know, warrants their own, you know, set of books and whatnot. Cool. And now we bring you Timothy Zahn's cobra earth's only hope was the cobras the colony worlds adirondack and silvern fell to the troughed forces almost without a struggle outnumbered and on the defensive earth made a desperate decision it would attack the aliens not from space but on the ground with forces the troughs did not even suspect thus were created the cobras a guerrilla force whose weapons were surgically implanted, invisible to the unsuspecting eye, yet undeniably deadly. But power brings temptation, and not all the Cobras could be trusted to fight for Earth alone. Johnny Moreau would learn the uses and abuses of his special abilities and what it truly meant to be a Cobra. Seated beside Governor General Zhu at the conference room table, Comité Vanis Darl could at first glance have passed for any other Aventine citizen. Middle-aged and reasonably fit, his dark hair cut in a conservative pattern, he gave no immediate sense of his awesome power. But his name labeled his home planet as Asgard, and to Johnny's eyes there were disturbing similarities between him and the failed rebel cobra Simon Lest. There was a quiet hardness about his face, the feeling that he would stop at nothing to get his own way. And underlying it all was an odd sense of urgency. Zhu's introduction was a subtle underscoring to the latter, lasting only a fraction of the time the occasion should have dictated. Thank you, Governor General Zhu, Darl said, rising to his feet as Zhu reseated himself. His voice was heavy with the subtle accents of Asgard. I would, first of all, like to congratulate you on behalf of the Central Committee on your truly outstanding accomplishment in the development of this new Dominion world. In barely fifteen years you've achieved a solid foothold on Aventine, and are even looking ahead to the future colonization of Salian and Palatine. The natural resources for these endeavors are, of course, readily available, and it is obvious as well that you are not lacking in spirit. As the Committee has studied your progress, in fact, it has become apparent that the limiting factor in your expansion has been, and continues to be, the lack of cobras to spearhead your efforts. Johnny felt his breath catch. Darl's eyes, sweeping the table, shifted to him, 
and for an instant the two men locked gazes. Your reports, Darl continued coolly, have from almost the beginning contained requests for more cobras, and the committee has done its best to accommodate you. We've encouraged cobra transfers to this colony, to the point where the army has barely two companies left for general dominion defense. Obviously this drain cannot continue indefinitely, and the committee has therefore come up with the following solution. Here it comes, Johnny thought, his stomach tensing. A steady stream of cobras through the corridor, maybe forever. But even he was unprepared for Darl's next words. Since it seems inefficient for the Dominion to equip and train cobras only to send them here, we've decided to shift the entire operation to Aventine instead. Johnny's jaw dropped. No, he shouted, though the word never made it past his frozen tongue. But Darl nevertheless noticed, and his eyes were steady on Johnny's face as he continued, Aboard my ship is all the necessary surgical and implant equipment, as well as specialists trained in its use. The procedure takes from two to six weeks, depending on how much discomfort you deem acceptable, and training by your own cobras will probably take no more than four weeks more. This is far better than the seven to nine month response time for getting new cobras from Asgard, and will in addition put the operation entirely under your control. I could continue, but I sense there is a comment waiting impatiently to be made, so I'd like to pause now for at least a brief discussion. Johnny was on his feet almost before the last word was out of Darl's mouth. With all due respect and gratitude, Comité Darl, he said carefully, I feel that perpetuating the line of cobras would be detrimental to the social and political development of Aventine. Darl's eyebrows rose politely. How so, Syndic Moreau? It seems to me that your government has adapted remarkably well to the presence of a disproportionate number of cobras among its citizens. Your own position here would seem evidence of that. If you're referring to the Chalinor Rebellion, yes, we've managed to avoid a repeat of that, Johnny said. But the cost has been an unnatural distortion of basic Dominion political theory. You speak, I presume, of the fact that at all levels of government, Cobras have more than the single vote given to ordinary citizens. Darl's face was expressionless, his voice giving no hint as to his opinion of that practice. I believe a study of history will show, Syndic, that numerous adjustments of ideal theory have been made when circumstances required it. Across the table, Brahm Stigger of Marrow District rose slowly to his feet. Perhaps then, Comité, a more concrete objection should be raised, he said. You speak of perpetuating the cobra presence on Aventine and of putting the selection of cobra candidates under our control. Under whose control, though, would it be? The governor-generals? A syndic majorities? Direct vote of the citizens? How do we guarantee, for obvious example, that this cobra factory doesn't come under the influence of another Chalinor? You seem to have a pretty low opinion of the sort of man who'd volunteer to be a cobra in the first place, Tamis Dion said stiffly from a few seats down. You'll notice that the psychological screening methods were perfectly successful with most of us. And as to Chalinor, you might remember it was Syndic Moreau and his companions who defeated him, not official paranoia. He shifted his eyes to Darl. I, for one, would be delighted to have another dozen cobras available to station in my outlying villages. You're oversolving the problem, 
Johnny spoke up as murmurs of both agreement and disagreement rippled across the table. We simply don't need full-fledged cobras for most of the work that's being done. Fitting the lasers Comité Darl has brought into hand weapons would do perfectly well against falks or wheat snakes. Spine leopards are trickier, I'll admit, but they're a problem only on the very edges of human territory, and the cobras we have now can control them well enough. And how about the spine leopard killers? Jor Hemner spoke up quietly. Can you handle them as well? All eyes turned to him. What are you talking about? Zhu demanded. My office put the bulletin on the net late last night, Hemner said. We found a spine leopard dead yesterday near Pelin, mauled by something as big as a gantua, but obviously far more aggressive. The leopard's foreleg spines, incidentally, were rigored into their extended defensive position. From the shocked looks around the table, Johnny gathered the report was news to nearly all the other syndics. We certainly don't want to make any decisions on the basis of a single unexplained event, he said quickly, hoping to diminish the shock effect of the incident. For all we know, the spine leopard might have been poisoned by some kind of snake and killed by extra-bold scavengers. The evidence... Hemner broke off suddenly, and Johnny turned to see Darl standing with hand raised for silence. I must point out that Syndic Moreau is perfectly correct in warning against a hasty decision, the Comité said. I've given you some of the reasons the Committee is offering you this equipment. There are others which are listed in the complete report I've brought. But the decision is yours, and I expect you to give this issue the careful consideration the Dominion expects from its leaders. I will be here for another few weeks, and you will have that long, if necessary, to determine what course to take. Looking down, he murmured something to Zhu, who nodded and got to his feet. I'm declaring a short recess, so that we can all have time to examine the information Comité Darl mentioned, the Governor General announced. The relevant mag cards are down the hall in your offices. Please take some time to study them, and we'll continue this discussion in two hours. Johnny joined the General Exodus to the building's office wing. But unlike the other syndics, he didn't stay there long. Picking up his copy of Darl's mag card, he made two quick calls and then left. Twenty minutes later, he and Callie Halloran were on an air car, heading southeast for Dawa District. That was another installment in Timothy Zahn's Cobra, and that's it for the podcast. Thanks, as always, to Audible.com and podcast theme composer Ruth Judkowitz. Praise, thanks, and gratitude to DJ Butler and M.A. Rothman for sitting down with us today and join us here next week for part two of their interview. Good night, Tony Daniel, wherever you are. And this is David F. Shirerod coming to you from a soundproof bunker somewhere deep in the heart of Texas. Join us here next week at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy and keep reaching for the stars. <laughs>